Well, in addition to lighting our Advent candles, um, another tradition that we have each year during the Advent season here at Wellspring is all four weeks um, of Advent prior to Christmas Eve, we like to highlight a specific ministry that we fully support doing great work here in town and beyond, um, a chance to learn about that ministry and really from a key individual that either works with that ministry or volunteers so you can kind of hear the heart behind um, why they do what they do and the work that they do. So today we're going to be highlighting Young Life, and so we get to hear from Young Life's area director, the one and only Mr. Phil Zwerink. So I'm going to invite Phil up. Can we give Phil a round of applause? The one and only. That's interesting. All right. Hey, I just want to say thank you for giving me an opportunity to come and share just a little bit about the ministry of Young Life. Um, I want you to know my name is Phil Zwerink. I, I know a lot of you, but uh, there might be some folks in here who don't know who I am. Um, I grew up here in St. Joe. Um, was a, I'm a graduate of Central High School, Missouri Western, um, and I got involved with Young Life when I was, when I was in high school. Um, and uh, and uh, I, I've had the privilege of being an, the area director for Young Life here in St. Joe for the last, uh, this is my 18th year. And so um, I, I want to I wanna put a little quote up here on the, on the screen and read it to you. Uh, we're going to be talking a little bit about our camping ministry, what we get to do with kids in the summer. Um, and the, the founder of our organization um, back in 1941 is a guy named Jim Rayburn. Um, and when he started, started the ministry, one of the things that he absolutely loved to do was take high school folks out and go and spend time out in the wilderness. Um, and it was literally camping, like when you would go and sit in front of, you know, you'd sit out in a tent and be um, by a campfire and all that type of stuff. And, um, and Jim Rayburn had this vision um, almost 80 years ago, uh, and here's what he said. Maxie is his wife, by the way. He said, Maxie, I have a dream of a real camp for kids, a camp that'll be so great that when they get off the bus, and then we get out of the bus, and they walk into camp, that they'll know that somebody has been thinking about them before they got there. Um, this idea that, like, we're preparing a place for high school students, um, at the time, just for high school students, it's kind of grown a little bit since then, but we're preparing a place for folks where they can come and encounter Jesus, where they can come and get to know who Jesus is. Um, and so uh, I realize that there are some folks in here who are really well acquainted with Young Life, but I also know that there are some folks who just might not really know what the ministry is about. And so um, if you'll flip to that next slide, I want to just share just a little bit with you. Young Life was founded in 1941 by Jim Rayburn, and it started with a group of ladies um, who, which all good things start this way, with a group of ladies praying. Um, and they started praying. Uh, there were folks that were involved in a, in, a, in, a women's, in a women's group, and they were like, what about the kids that don't go to church? Like, what about the kids in our community that don't get an opportunity to come and sit um, in the, like, in a place and hear about Jesus? What do we do about those folks? Um, and they started praying. Um, and about two years later, um, Jim Rayburn, they actually hired Jim Rayburn to do a job at a, at a church, to do youth ministry stuff at a church. And after about a year of doing that, Jim was just like, I can't do this within the walls of this church I want to go out. I want to be outside. Um, and so he said, I want to go where kids are and spend time where they're at. Um, 
And so Jim started this thing called Young Life. Um, and this is kind of what's happened is he's recognized that, like, if I want to be in relationship, in a relationship that is, like, that has enough relational capital for me to share the greatest news, I absolutely have to spend time with them. Like, I have to go and be and, and like, on their turf. And so he would go, he actually, there were a couple of other folks that were doing this. They would go to, like, the playground. Back, back in the day, that was where folks gathered together to play basketball. Um, and he would go and hang out with them. He would go um, camping with them. He would spend time with them. He would go to the school um, and hang out and spend time with them. Um, and he, so all of a sudden, he started gathering a group of folks. So it was not just him, but there were a group of, uh, of, of ladies with him and a group of gentlemen with him that were, like, spending time um, with kids, building relationships with them. Um, all in this, um, this, uh, this thought of how do we win the right to be heard? Like, if I want to share the greatest news, I have to be able to, uh, I have to be able to, like, know them. Because um, it's weird for this guy, I'm a 48-year guy, for me to show up at Central and nobody knows me and go, hey, I want to tell you about Jesus. And they all look at me and go, yeah, whatever. But for me to have earned the right to be heard, to win the right to be heard, is a significant deal. Um, and there, I want you to know that there are plenty of teachers and uh, people in this room that know that there are a lot of kids in our community that don't have an opportunity to hear about Jesus. Um, and so uh, we want to tell kids the great news of Christ and let them decide how to respond to the gospel. We want to give them that opportunity. Um, the privilege that I have is that I get to do this alongside of a ton of other people who are doing this. We have, we have almost uh, uh, 50 Young Life leaders in our area who are doing stuff with middle school kids or hanging out with middle school kids or, or high school students or college students. Um, and I get to do that alongside of them. And I have uh, the privilege of, uh, of sharing that. Uh, I have invited one of my friends. Uh, her name is Annie Myers. She is our team leader at Benton High School. And she is also a teacher at Benton High School. Um, and she has been a faithful, faithful friend of high school students for a long time. Um, and so I have invited her to come and share just a little bit um, about her, her perspective of, of hanging out with kids. And so here's Annie. Would you give her a round of applause? Uh, hello. So like Phil said, I'm Annie. Um, I have been uh, leading Benton Young Life for, or leading at Benton Young Life for, I think, six years. And I have been coming to Wellspring for, I think, two um, and I've been teaching at Benton for two years. So um, I uh, have been, I first, I have a different story than Phil. I never went to Young Life as a high schooler. I never knew anything about Young Life, but I started leading because my friend Kirsten was leading. And so she asked me if I wanted to, and I was like, sure. Um, so at first I kind of, uh, no lie, had a little bit of um, hesitation, I guess, with Young Life, just because it seems like we had fun and played games, and then we kind of, like, talked about Jesus a little bit, and for me and my background, that was different um, from, like, because I grew up going to youth group and going to church, but now that I've been doing Young Life for six years, I see um, the purpose behind that, and I see that if you, kind of like Phil said, if you just invite kids 
to church and you don't really know them or you haven't really established a relationship with them, a lot of them are not going to give you the time of day. And so um, now that I kind of know what Young Life is about, it makes more sense. And so um, I don't know if there's, I think there's a picture up here. So Phil called me the other day and he asked me if I would talk up here. And I was like, okay, well, almost right after Phil called me, my mom sent my sister and I this Snapchat. And so my mom had been working, which Snapchat is this app where you can send pictures, if you all don't know, but <laughs> you send pictures to people. So my mom sent this app to, or this picture to us. And um, so my mom had been working all day. And then she went shopping after work. And so she hadn't gotten home. It was probably like 8 o'clock, 8.30. And she sent this picture to us. And this is this their dining room. Um, and she said this, this chair, my dad had been sitting in this chair just looking out the window waiting for my mom to get home. And so it just like, um, I thought it was so cute and it made me tear up and it just made me so thankful for my parents. But since it was right after Phil called, it also made me think of Young Life and it made me think of the kids that we are trying to teach with young, or reach through Young Life they are the kids who might not have people doing this for them, who might not have people going after them, or who might not have people waiting for them or um, wanting to invite them to things or wanting to build a relationship with them. They might, but they oftentimes might not. And so um, this just kind of like reminded me of what we do with Young Life, that we're waiting for kids to come. We invite kids, we ask kids to come, we try to encourage kids to come to Young Life, but we just kind of have to like wait and see what they decide, like Phil said. And it also made me think about God with us and that I feel like this is a picture of what God does with us, that he waits for us to come to him and that he is just sitting and waiting and watching for us to come back to him. And so it was just a great reminder of um, those couple of things. And one of the things that we invite kids to a lot is to go to Young Life Camp, which is over the summer. And here's some pictures at Young Life Camp, apparently. But um, it's a week over the summer, and um, we invite kids to go. And this is a great time for us to build deeper relationships with kids because they can't be on their phones. They have to give up their phones, which I feel like is a victory in and of itself. But... They can't be on their phones. We're kind of like off in this like really awesome place where we can um, hang out with kids and do fun things with kids and develop relationships with kids. But they also get to hear the gospel and they get to hear the gospel presented very plainly. And then we get to, as their leaders, go through that with them and ask them like what they heard and what they're understanding and what they're thinking. And so then we also get to come back home with them. And then we get to, when we get back home, keep doing those things and keep building those relationships and keep asking kids where they're at. In my time going to Young Life Camp, I've had experiences where I've sat with kids and they've told me really hard stuff that they're going through and struggles that they've had. Um, I've had times where I've sat in a canoe with somebody who decided to start following Jesus. I've had times where I've had kids not really get it, but they were interested and they keep coming back. And so there's tons of um, results, I guess, if you want to use that word, um, that come out of camp. But the great thing is, is like what Phil said, God is, God is the one who's doing something. And so God is the one at work through camp and through Young Life. But camp is super expensive, some, especially for some kids. Um, and so when we invite kids to go to camp and we ask kids to go to camp, a lot of times they see the price and it kind of um, 
automatically is kind of like, uh, like I, I can't do that. I can't raise that much money. I can't do that. I don't have that money. And so we always tell kids at Bitten, and I'm sure Central and Lafayette and Savannah do the same thing, but we always tell them, we will help you find the money to go. If you want to go to camp, you can go to camp. Don't let the money stop you. We will do fundraisers. We will find the money for you to go. And so um, being able to back that up and help kids go to camp is super important. So it gives us as leaders credibility and that we're not just saying that to kids and then being like, well, sorry, actually, you don't. And so um, I think Phil will talk about that a little bit more. But um, I would just like to say as a Young Life leader and someone who's gone to camp and someone who's been doing this for a while, thank you for your generosity and thank you for your support because it really does make a difference and it really does um, matter to me and then also to other leaders and kids who have come through Young Life. So I'm going to give this back to Phil, but thank you for your time. Annie, Annie is serving downstairs right now, so I just want to say thank you. She's she's absolutely amazing, and she's one of the folks that I get to I get to spend uh, time with and work with. And um, I do want to just share with you a little bit of the some of the details of 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 what summer camp looks like. And so this next slide is um, uh, what what's not up here is our Capernaum trip, um, uh, but we're going to start with that wildlife trip to Clearwater Cove. Um, the, the price tag on that is $675. Um, our high school trip to Castaway Club in Minnesota is $889. College Work Week uh, is great because it's free, um, um, except for the, the, the expenses. And then we had College Fall Weekend, uh, which we typically charge our college students $99. $99. But we also have a Capernaum trip um, that we take, um, but it's TBD um, in terms of the, the cost and, and when it is. And so... As you can see, the, the price tag for some of those things is, is, is a little high. Um, but I want you to know the, the, the value that we get when we go with high school, middle school, and college students to camp is absolutely amazing. It is worth every penny. Um, I want to, uh, when I, back in 2010, I had a friend that uh, I had met. He was a sophomore at Central High School. Um, his name is Elijah. Um, some of you guys might know him. Um, but when I went, I went and met him, and, and uh, he had come to club a few times, and um, I had spent some time with him. I'd, um, he was a wrestler at the time, and I, I went and watched some wrestling matches and got to know Elijah a little bit and I invited him to go to camp. And um, I literally remember the, the time when I, I said, hey, would you love, would you, I would love for you to go to camp with me. And I, he's like, oh, that sounds like great. I, I'd love to do that. And then I told him it was like $700. He's like, mm, yeah, right. Um, and I just remember I, I, I able to look him in the eye and go, hey, this is important. I would love for you to go with me. Like, would you, if you're interested in going, I'm willing to help you get there. Um, and just like Annie said, the money that comes in helps us, um, uh, allows us to, to really offer something that's, that's of value for kids. I want you to know that that relationship with Elijah didn't end when I went to camp, he did go to camp, and we had a great week. And um, you know, we talk about all of the things with uh, with Advent, with hope, peace, joy, love, um, and and those are things that kids get to experience when they're at camp. Um, but I came home with Elijah, and I've, I have a relationship with Elijah, and Elijah is somebody that I he's near and dear to my heart. 
Um, and there are tons of high school folks, middle school folks, and college folks, um, and leaders in here that have those relationships because, because of an opportunity um, for kids to go and hear about Jesus um, in a way that's really powerful. And so uh, I just want to say thanks for any thought of, hey, what, this, what, what would it look like for a kid to go to camp this summer instead of, um, instead of something else that you're, that you're choosing for, for, to spend money on this Christmas? And so um, God is at work, and I am grateful to be a part of what he's doing. And so I just want to say thank you to Wellspring. Um, you, this has been a, a, a wonderful and a, a wonderful you guys have been a wonderful partner and it's been a privilege to to share with you today so thank you for uh for listening to me this morning if you'd like to make um just to make clear a donation to young life or really any of the ministries you can go back we have all four ministries that we've been highlighting back there you got cash, you can just put it in the envelope labeled to that ministry. If you want to write a check, just make it out to Wellspring, and we'll make sure it goes to that place. So give to Young Life today. Empty those bank accounts, right? Well, the year was 1974. Many of you weren't even alive. Country singer Mac Davis penned some great words when he released his song, It's Hard to Be Humble. Here's what he wrote. Oh, Lord, it's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way. I can't wait to look in the mirror because I get better looking each day. To know me is to love me. I must be a heck of a man. Oh, Lord, it's hard to be humble, but I'm doing the best that I can. And that is some really good theology, right? That's some great theology. And as ridiculous as those lyrics are, they're not too far off from how a lot of people operate, if we're being honest. Along the same vein, show me your hands if you are familiar with the somewhat recent trend called humble brag. Raise your hand. Five people? Okay. Bob Miller is really hip, so he filled me in on this. It's been around for a few years, I guess. I did not know it was a thing, but basically what humble brag is, is when you try to, a lot of times it's on social media, you can do it in person, but it's when you try to appear really kind, and thoughtful, but what you actually do is just end up bragging about how awesome you are. So I'm gonna give you guys some examples. These are real tweets. Someone tweeted, I just did something very selfless. <laughs> but more importantly, it was genuine, and I know it means a lot to the person in the long run. Humble brag. Another person tweeted, real, real stuff, I saw a homeless man in front of Walmart and I didn't have much money, but I bought him a case of water. I gave him the last of my money, and I walked away crying because I felt God was praising me for putting others before myself. <laughs> to which someone commented, yeah, and posting it on Twitter so angels could see your deed and retweet it in heaven. <laughs> Hashtag humble brag, right? Humility does not come easy, does it? It does not come easy. For any of us. Our flesh fights and demands that we get the attention, the recognition, and the credit, the benefit of what we think we deserve. And thankfully, we serve a God who shows us a much, much different way. So let's dive in to see what he has to say. Open your Bibles with me to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. 
It's page 1672 if you're using a pew Bible. Many of you guys are familiar with these words here from the Apostle Paul. Philippians 2, verses 5 through 8. He says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Have the same mindset. You could also substitute the word attitude. And what are that mindset and attitude? It's a mindset that willingly submitted himself, allowing himself to experience inequality. He made himself nothing. Some translations say that he emptied himself. He willingly abandoned his place of royalty in heaven to become a man and taking on the very nature of a servant. So the attitude that Christ carried himself with, his heart posture, was one of submission, servanthood, and humility. His posture was one of stooping down, lowering himself to serve another. And maybe you're thinking, forget that, right? That's the opposite of everything I've learned that's been ingrained in me. And that's the issue for us. This idea of submission and humility is completely countercultural to everything that we have learned and experienced and been taught growing up as Americans here living in the West it's against everything that we value and uphold. Here's some examples. Instead of operating with a heart of submission and lowering ourselves as servants, we choose selfishness, and we justify it too. I worked hard for what I have. I deserve it. I deserve to spend my money how I want to spend it, right? Instead of willingly serving others as servants of God, we choose to be our own masters and we justify that, too, because it's what we've been taught. Be all that you can be. You deserve that new car, that new thing, that new gadget. You work hard. Just be you. You deserve it. Follow your heart. And finally, we choose pride over humility, and we justify that one, too. Why would I apologize for the rupture in our relationship? If other people would change, life would be so much better. Someone goes, mm, right? Now let's take it a step further because sometimes the word serve or servant can kind of be taken as cute. I serve in kids' ministry. I serve at the food kitchen. I serve at the Salvation Army. That's nice. Those are good things. Don't get me wrong. But the word here for servant in verse 7 actually means slave. Now that's threatening. Jesus chose to take on the role of a servant. He chose to become a slave by submitting to his master, the Father. 
Think about how confusing this must have been for the Jews living during Jesus' time. They were anticipating a Messiah, a Savior that would set them free from the Romans, right? They were looking for a powerful leader to bring justice and equality to God's chosen people. And then God sends them a Savior who becomes a servant. It's no wonder that they didn't believe him. It's no wonder they rejected him. He was the complete opposite of what they had in mind for a Savior. And so here comes Jesus, flipping the tables completely on what it means to be a leader. Born to a virgin, in a manger, where cattle ate food. Jesus was a refugee. He had to flee to Egypt to avoid being killed as a baby. Betrayed by his closest friends. He was mocked, spit upon, frequently ran for his life because others wanted to kill him. He knew what rejection was. He experienced grief. He knew loneliness. He was the victim of verbal, emotional, and physical abuse. Jesus knew trauma firsthand. This is the greatest leader to ever exist. This is how he lived on this earth. His life was defined not by power, status, or privilege, the hallmarks of what we view as great leadership in our culture. His life was defined by submission, servanthood, and humility. He willingly chose to be a slave to his father. Everything he thought, said, and did was through the lens of, is this what my father wants? Is this his desire for me? Does this honor him? So I've got a question for you guys on this note that I, I want some feedback on. What was to be gained from Jesus by coming to us in such a lowly state, in such a lowly posture? Why would he do that? Maybe think about it in this way. If you had to make the case for why Jesus came to us in such a humble position, what would you say? What was to be gained from Jesus coming to us in such a lowly, humble posture? What do you think? The floor is open. To show a world full of prideful people what humility looks like? Okay. All right, good. Thank you. What else? Why would he do that? What do you think? Okay, to show us how wrong our thinking is, to put a man above God. What else? I'm not looking for something specific. I'm just asking what you think. Okay. Okay. An example of the ultimate of laying down of yourself. Yeah, good. What else? Brent. Okay. Yeah, so to have a good relationship with people, we have to be on their level rather than stomping in, I'm Jesus, I'm God. Yeah, I can relate to you good. Did somebody else have their hand raised? Oh, Kylie.
Yeah, yeah. It's, it it kind of makes me think, I mean, if I stood up here and told you how awesome I was, would you want to be like, man, can I hang out with you? <laughs> no. But if I stand up here and admit my wrongs and how I'm learning and growing, you're probably going to be more drawn to that, right? Yeah, good. That's great stuff. There are lots of other parts of Scripture that really hit on this model that Jesus said of being a leader. I just have one of them from Mark 10. It says, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. You want to be a leader? You want to be first? Then become a servant. And really for us, becoming a slave to Christ... It's not forced on us. It's our choice, right? It is a choice. Some people are slaves not by choice. Okay? And their submission is one of probably resentment, bitterness, hatred, anger for the injustice that they experience each day. But when we choose to be slaves to Christ, as the Apostle Paul called himself in Romans 1, I, Paul, slave to Christ, for us... That choice is really centered and rooted in the issue of trust, right? Do we trust that God and his ways are good? Do we trust that he is for us and that in him is life and in him only can we thrive? If we trust that, then we will choose him. We will submit to his lordship. Just as Jesus chose to be a slave to his father, we are to become slaves to Jesus. And we struggle with this image of slavery, though, don't we? Because rightfully so, it's often viewed through the lens of mistreatment and horrific abuse. But being a slave to Jesus is completely different. <laughs> completely different. We are actually only free when we are a slave to Christ. As slaves to Christ, we're no longer slaves to fear or shame or sin. If you're not in Christ, you are a slave to sin. But in him, you're a slave to a master that sets you free from fear, shame, and bondage and your selfish pursuit of happiness because he is the most tender, gentle, and compassionate master we could ever imagine. And the primary way, this is, this is really important, the primary way that we live out our submission to his lordship is through our relationships. It's not something that takes place just between you and Jesus. He chooses to do his work of transformation in us through all the sinful people that we encounter every single day, especially those that we live with, right? He does some of his best work in those contexts. So here's a great question to ask yourself when you're considering whether or not you're following his example of being a servant. Ask yourself this. Whose life is flourishing because you keep giving your life away? Whose life is flourishing because you keep giving your life away? And if nobody comes to mind, you probably need to do some self-examination. To prepare room 
For the true Jesus to fill our hearts, we have to empty ourselves of ourselves. Our wills, our desires, our dreams of what we think life owes us or what we think our lives should look like. They have to be submitted to our master. And this is our life's work. It's not seasonal work. It's not something that takes place just when it's convenient for us, when we have the time in our schedule to prioritize him. And everything in our flesh will fight against it. And I want to give you guys a real-life example of what this looks like. Brace yourself. So this past week, uh, it was Tuesday morning. I woke up, getting ready to go to work. I realized I did not have a clean pair of pants. My previous pair of pants, literally, I'm not joking, guys. I'd worn them for over a week straight. Those things stank. It was, it was time, okay? I was like, oh, crap. I had a pair of sweatpants, though, that I could put on. So I wore some sweatpants to staff. I staff meeting. I told my wife uh, before I left that day, hey, I'm out of pants. Like, if you could wash some, that'd be great. And, you know, she's like, all oh, the kids, you know, whatever. You know how this story goes, don't you? So I get home that day, later that night, not... The pants are not on my radar. I go to bed. I wake up Wednesday morning. No clean pants. I have an 8 a.m. meeting. It's, my only options were pajamas or khaki shorts. It's 28 degrees outside. <laughs> the misunderstanding and miscommunication prompted me to be a complete butthole to Sarah. Okay? I mean, what kind of wife allows their husband to not have a clean pair of pants for two straight days? Can I get an amen? Men, come on, right? Two straight days. I accused her of not prioritizing my needs. I left without saying goodbye, and I actually thought as I was walking out that day, I'm not apologizing to her. She's in the wrong. She owes me the apology. Forget that. But God in his mercy like he always does when we're willing to listen. He tugged on my heart that morning at my 8 a.m. meeting at Hazel's on Frederick with my friend Jeff Bridgman. I told him about the incident that just went down a few minutes before, and it hit me, yeah, I probably should own some of that. I probably need to apologize for treating her that way. But man, it would have been so much easier to keep telling myself she owed me the apology, right? She was the one in the wrong. But where in the world do I get the idea that I had the right to treat my wife that way? Okay? If Jesus prayed for his enemies, loved his enemies, washed the feet of the men who would betray and kill him that night, who do I think I am to think that I can treat my wife that way over a pair of pants? Okay? The nonsense that we try... To justify, to get our way is ridiculous and flat out comical sometimes. Jesus Christ took on the very nature of a servant. And not only are we to follow his steps, nobody's going to disagree with that, but it's actually what our hearts long for. Right now, today, and even when we stand before God on judgment day, what are the words we want to hear? Well done, good and faithful servant. Well done, you good and faithful servant. To stake our lives to him is to be his servant, his slave, 
And really the reality of it is Bob Dylan wrote a song on it. We're all going to serve somebody. We're all going to be a slave to somebody or something. It could be God. It could be the devil. It could be yourself. You're going to serve somebody. You will submit to someone's authority. Scripture tells us from the day that we're born, we're sinful. We are sinners. That is our nature. But now we get to choose righteousness. We get to choose being slaves to Christ. And what a comfort to know that our master, he does not ask us to do anything that he was unwilling to do himself. He submitted his life to the Father. And because of his humility, we can sit here today and celebrate the freedom, the hope, the joy, the peace, and the love that he extends to us, right? Not only this season, but every day. And so as we come to a close today, I want to ask again, whose life is flourishing because you keep giving your life away? You want to be first? Then be the greatest servant to all. You want to be great? Then humble yourself and give your life away so that others can experience the goodness of God. You have the choice to be a slave to Christ. You're going to serve somebody. You're going to submit to someone. Submit to the king, the loving king of heaven and earth. He will give you life. He will make your life matter. And he will use your life to extend his love to others so that others can experience his goodness. Amen? Let's pray together. Dear Jesus, you are incredible. I thank you for your heart towards us and the posture of which you carried yourself and operated when you lived on this earth. Of lowering yourself, God. To have relationship with us and to meet us on our level right where we are in the midst of our sin and selfishness, God, and just complete blindness and unawareness to our desperate need for you. God, teach us to humble ourselves every day, God, to submit to the work of transformation that you want to do in our lives, God, through those around us that we encounter every day. God, we want to submit, we choose to submit, God, to your lordship, your power, your authority, Lord. What a beautiful Savior that you are. Thank you for who you are and for the example that you set for us, God, to model our lives after, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you guys go ahead and stand with me?